Stand by for action. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Punk Till I Die podcast with your pals Tom and Neil. How you doing, Neil? I'm doing all right, Tom. Sweltering in my bedroom right now, just yes, like you are, I believe, right? pretty warm. Yeah, I was in the 90s today. Yeah. So of course, you can get a hold of us at the Punk Till I Die 77 at Gmail or on our Facebook group, which we've added some sort of restrictions to because we've had a lot of spam lately. People telling us that uh, Simon Cowell <laughs> died or something. I hope nobody <laughs> in our group would give a rat's ass if Simon Cowell died, but you know, these are the things you do with in the internet age. So It's true. We're getting spam anyway, constantly. Anyway. I don't want to waste too much more time with frivolity. Yes. So we got, we have we a, got a guest that we're both real excited about today, Neil. It, he's, I, I suck at intros, but I'm going to do my best. He's, okay. been, he's been in the business for 45 or more years. Indeed. He's an original, original London punk, 77 punk, right? Exactly. He's, he's, done, he's played guitar in a bunch of different bands, done a bunch of different stuff. Uh, he does some producing. But people probably know him best from playing on what's generally considered to be one of the greatest, you know, not 77, actually 78 punk albums of all time. We have it with us, Derwood Andrews from Generation X and a bunch of other stuff. So how you doing, Derwood? I'm doing swell, guys. Doing swell. Punk till I die. That's it. That's exactly <laughs> that's, it. That's you. And, and actually, I want, I want to jump in here a minute, Tom, because... Most people. Please, consider, I'm sure. I'm sure I was inadequate. So please, Neil. Oh it no, up. no, no! It was great. I just wanted to. So, most people talking about 77, 78, you know, uh, English punk albums. They'll go obviously the first Clash album. They'll go never mind the bollocks, right? But to me, the three that stood out the most for me at the time, and I was I was fourteen, fifteen, so I was catching that. Um, was uh, the first Vibrators, Pure Mania. And the adverts crossing the Red, uh, Red Sea with the adverts, mm. and the first Generation X album. Those three stood out to me more than probably any other album from that uh, from that era. So interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, so I've been uh, super interested in Generation X because it was ne- two albums. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, well, two, it's funny, albums. So say two albums. We've had, we've had a member of Generation X, and we've had a pistol. So you had to hunt down a member of the Jam, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I That'll be next on the Fox list. And, I don't think Paul Weller will do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. What can you do? But anyway, so I'm delighted to have you on, Derwood. It's uh, it's a huge honor. It's nice of you to ask. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So you live in the states now, right? How how long have you lived in the states? Um, I first came here in 1983 and got married. And that lasted a year. And then I came back in 91 and lived in Arizona. And then I came back in 96 and haven't really left. So quite a long time, yeah. That's cool. So you've, uh, you're a citizen or do you just have your green card and stuff? Um, I, I have a green card, yeah. yeah. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. So, so the band, so yeah. Generation X never toured in the States. No, not at all. I don't think so. No, no. Okay. 
So let's go before that, though. So I did a little bit of digging because this was this was obviously before before my time. Um, you were in a band before Generation X, right? How did that whole thing come about? You were in a band called Paradox, I believe, right? Yeah, I mean, it it really wasn't a band. It was just a bunch of mates that would uh, get together and try and figure out what the people we just listened to on the record were doing, you know, it was, it was a hobby. Um, and, uh, we, we had this place in Fulham that was, uh, a bombed out church and it was the crypt. That's, mm. That was all, all that was left. And it used to be our hangout, you know, it's just, uh, our little gang. Um, and we'd have a drum kit in there and a couple of guitars and, and, uh, we pretended to be in a band. Um, we had, and we had a name, you know, but then someone said, uh, let's do a gig here. And, uh, someone else said, okay. And we totally forgot about it. But, um, a few months later, the date was set for December 4th, 1976. And, uh, I believe the night before, December 3rd was when the Pistols went on the Bill Grundy show. Okay. And, of course, the whole fucking world suddenly learned about what punk rock was. And um, it just happened to be our first show the next night. <laughs> and about 200 punks showed up hoping to see, you know, a new punk band or something like that. And, and what, what kind of stuff were you playing? Uh, Deep Purple, Linda's Farm, uh, Leonard Skinner, we had long hair and cowboy boots and dungarees, (laughs) and they smashed the place to pieces, uh, rightly so, I suppose, um, (laughs) and we just ran in the back, locked the room, got drunk, and we came out and everything was just trashed, and, uh, there was standing this, uh, blonde-haired punk and he walked up to me and he said uh loves your guitar mate um do you want to join my do you want to have an audition with my band tomorrow and i said well i don't know here's my phone number and um it was that simple to be sucked into the world of rock and roll and i went to that was uh, mr billy idol and Was, was, I went to the audition, and and that was it. Was he even Billy Idol then? Or was he still was he still William Broad at that point? No, he was Billy Idol. Yeah, but he of was. course, no one. You know, he was Joe Bloggs. You know, was fresh out of Chelsea um, right at that point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, um, it wasn't like I was starstruck or something because he was nobody. You know, right. Um, yeah. So we went, I went along to the audition, played, oh, hello dog, <laughs> um, and played a couple of songs. They said, join the band, and six days, well, we went to rehearse at the Roxy, because um, our manager owned the Roxy at the time, so we had somewhere to rehearse, um, and six days later, we played our first gig, and that was it. So what songs did you have back then? Um, 
your generation, Marauder, UCC Youth, um, oh, you know, a lot of early stuff, yeah, yeah. That, that was on the album, yeah. So, so, did, so you, did you play so, with someone we'd know, or was it just kind of like a local show? It was a college, it was the London College of Art building, and funny enough, uh, the support was supposed to be Susie and the Banshees, but she didn't show up. Hmm. Um, and I think they had Sid on drums. I think Sid might have dropped a drumstick or something. But <laughs> they, did, they didn't show up, but Eater showed up. Now, you've oh, heard okay. of Eater, right? Oh, God, sure. yeah. yeah, for sure. Now, I, they were really nice fellas, and um, I've always liked their band. And the weird thing is, just a couple of months ago, I thought, I need to get hold of Andy Blade and we need to make a single. I just have these weird ideas now and again that I like to pursue and we fucking did it and it's out now. So rock and roll, punk till I die, it's all the same, you know? So you just, you're talking like recently? Yeah. Like yeah, 45 years yesterday, later? Actually. 45 years yeah, later, I've, you got That's wow. fine. Yeah. That's crazy. That's because music is the common denominator between uh, obviously musicians, you know, it's, it's like that to me, that is the most important element of anything that anyone does entertainment wise, you know, that's the meat and potatoes. Well, it's, it's funny. Cause I was, I mean, so do you, you guys are obviously probably better musicians than you were back then. I mean, Andy was even younger than you or were you guys about the same age? He was very young, right? He was, yeah, I think he was 15. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, do, do you feel like the song was something you would have done at that age, or is it, you know, no. that's, a, that's a real curious thought, right? Like, no, what would you have done at that age? Okay. Oh, God, probably just gone down the pub, you know. <laughs> but, um, there you go. No, you, there has to be a certain amount of time that passes before certain opportunities like that arise, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so that's a fair, fair them, amount of time. You, you, that's a fair amount of time that's passed. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it is. But um, you've got to, to pursue these things if it's an idea that you want to do. Sure. And uh, I, I should have actually sent you the single because it's really good. Hmm. Um, it, yeah, is, it anyway. actually, is, is it actually out yet or is it is it coming out soon? Like on vinyl? It, it can, it's out on vinyl yesterday. And oh, wow. Jeez. It's re it's really cool because there's this thing, I guess it's been around for a while, but um, it's called Lathe Cut mm -hmm. Vinyl. Yeah, Lathe Cut Singles. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the great thing is you can make like 10 of them or 20 or 30 of them, and it's reasonable to um, to get your money back, you know? It, it, it's... it's uh, it's perfect for my kind of situation, which is I'm not attached and haven't been attached to a corporation for over 30 years on purpose because it's just a load of bollocks, you know? It's, um, you're giving away your, the thing you love uh, for someone to fuck up, and that's not something I like doing, you know? Yeah. So, so the life... The lathe cut market is perfect for someone like us who who is uh, just wanting to get the music out there 
and loved vinyl and uh, you know it's lovely to hold something in your hand and sit in front of your audio cathedral rather than you know putting your earbuds in and listening to it on your own you can actually <laughs> many, share it with people you know how many so did where, you press? Where, would people, where would people get that we should uh, let people know where uh, my bank my band camp page which is Derwood Andrews one dot com, and we press 26 so there's only 10 left good wow. so that's okay. going to be worse jump on that you, know, you better yeah, jump on that, that. Yeah. yeah well yeah so get on it. All right. Well, go, going back, going back, going back in the uh, way back machine, back to '77. How was working with yeah, Billy and Tony in, in, the, in those early days? How was that? How were the gigs? How was well, the uh, writing the songs and stuff? It was very exciting because you know, I, like I said, I hadn't planned on becoming a in, a in a band and playing guitar and all that. It's just something I learned to do with my mates. Um, but apparently I was quite accomplished compared to other people in punk bands that couldn't really play. I could, you know, because I'd done my homework at home. Oh, for sure. And uh, and um, the f- I'd say the first six months going into 77 was really exciting. It was great. We were all on the same page. We were all... Um, not really the same age. Uh, there's, there's quite a big difference between me and Tony of, uh, I think it's seven years. Hmm. Um, and that's a big difference for a 24-year-old to be hanging out with a 17-year-old it, and vice versa. It's not really made in heaven, you know? Um, yeah. But the first six months was really exciting. It was really new it was great to belong to something bigger than just one band um it was great all the girls obviously <laughs> and the violence and and all the troubles we had and you know it's really exciting and then we signed a record deal and slowly everyone kind of uh what do you call it what do they do on star trek shape-shifted <laughs> to uh, oh shit. everyone kind of shape-shifted into something that they weren't quite showing you when you first met. Yeah. And um, and I was, I became increasingly uh, disillusioned of how people can be and I really wanted out of there pretty shortly after that. Wow, well, let's let's not get quite there yet. Let's uh, okay. So, recording the first, the early single. Yeah, no, why don't we play? A, why don't we stick a song? Yeah, in? yeah. But uh, what memories do you have of, of recording that first album? Mart, uh, who was the producer? It was Martin Russian, right? Lovely Martin Russian. Yeah, he yeah. Was, he was so such a funny, nice, professional guy. You know, really good. Um, but we didn't start with him. We started with Phil Wayman, who was the sweets producer because oh, the right. record company decided that we should go in with the sweet producer and make poppy, you know, blah, blah, <laughs> blah. Um, and it didn't work at all. So we had to wait a while, which is why the album didn't come out for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, cause we made a lot of mistakes. We went in with the wrong producer. We went into the wrong studio. It was all plush and, you know, blah, blah, blah. We're, and nothing was really coming out well. Um, 
the John Pill recording uh, stuff was really good because you had to get in and out in like four hours. You know, yeah. you had to do three or four songs in an uh, one song in an hour, and that that's how it worked with us because we were playing gigs. We were we were good at live stuff, but when you had the opportunity to separate this and separate that, we all kind of went up our asses a bit <laughs> and it, that wasn't what was required. So right. it wasn't until we, we found this little shithole in Fulham, uh, like a, a basement studio that we could all just get in there for 10 days. And we knocked that album out in 10 days and with Martin and, and, uh, Alan Wynn Stanley who went on to, uh, well, they both went on to great things, you know, Bad yeah. Scots and all that stuff. Yeah, um, I mean, I, and it was, and was well, gonna... and it was, it was really exciting. It was really cheap, and it was really great. I mean, your guitar sound is what really stood out to me, and separates that from probably a lot of the early other punk albums. Was your guitar sound well, was just? I, I at the time, I'd never heard anything like it. It was. Uh, he did a great job with that. Whoever you know, when he produced it, I think it's that awesome. Was, I think uh, I think that was probably Alan Wynn Stanley, yeah, um, who just shoved a mic in front of a Marshall cabinet, and it and that was that's the sound, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah, uh, all right. That's a very that's a very good point because um, most of the other bands, English punk bands, and particularly American punk punk bands, were all using the Gibson humbucker guzzy you know uh sound and i that was my well actually that was my first battle and probably the last battle i won with those guys is i said i'm gonna go and buy a fucking old strat and fuck you and they were like no you can't it's it's hippie it's Jimi hendrix it's it's (laughs) robin trower i said it's fucking me and i'm doing it and like I say, that was probably the only time I stood up for myself. Um, but yes, the sound of the Fender Stratocaster. Well, let's give that a listen. Uh, you picked, um, off the first album, you picked Invisible Man. Now, why did you pick this one? Because <laughs> the, the sound of the Stratocaster. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let's listen to it, everybody. This is uh, off the first Generation X album, which everybody should own. This is uh, Invisible Man. Every day 
that I, was. Uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, I was, sorry, can I just say? And the other thing I love about that song is it reminds me of Oliver. You know the musical Oliver Twist. Yeah. Yeah. It it makes me feel nice because I I don't like musicals as a rule, but Oliver, I grew up with that. Um, I did too. Yeah, I was in love yeah, with Nancy. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that kind of whole song thing, like... It just reminds me of Fagan and... and uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You, you know what I mean? Maybe... Yeah, yeah. anyway, carry on. No, no. Um, did you get to write... You didn't write any of the songs, right? Did you get to contribute much apart from the, the guitar stuff, the guitar solos and such? Um, well, there's a bone of contention because... Uh, yeah, I wrote all the guitar things, but uh, I, I didn't end up getting my name on anything. Hmm. Not until the second album. Um, and it was kind of like, well, this isn't really fair, is it? Um, and it never never really uh, changed. It was set in stone. Um, which is quite disappointing, really. All right, before we get to the second album... I have to ask you about mm. something that I really love because at the end of our show, every one of our episodes, I uh, I have a little trailer out from the uh, from the Mark Boland show from uh, Mark, and uh, oh, yeah. of course, Generation X were on the Mark Boland show. You guys were on actually the last the last one. It was episode six, I believe. Yeah. Um, and one actually, he was he. Did you now? Okay, so what memories do you have of that? How was he to? How was he to work with? And I have to ask: you've talked about the Stratocaster, but on that show mm. you were playing. You were playing a Gibson. So what was the deal with that? Well, that was Mark's Les Paul because oh, wow. our road our road crew uh, broke down on the way to the TV studio, and we had no equipment. So Tony's playing. Eddie and the Hot Rods bass. I'm playing Mark's uh, Les Paul and Mark's playing someone else's drum kit. I don't know. But, um, so, yeah, and that was live. You know, it's like rare live TV show without your own equipment. It was kind of scary, you know. But uh, very punk rock. Oh, very much so. And that was the that was the yeah. great thing about that Mark Boland show was that it was so I mean it was it was typical of nineteen seventy seven and stuff at that time. There was some punk on there, there was some weird country on there, there was some stodgy metal on there. It was there was just a bit of everything. Um And I he was it. he was yeah, he was such a lovely guy as well. And of course, um a very early hero of mine, you know. Yeah. Those record those records when I was eleven and twelve were what made me want to pick up the guitar and, and pretend, you know? No, did I read somewhere that you he actually gave you that guitar and so you, you owned it? Uh, I wish, yeah. Oh, no, no. okay, okay. <laughs> I thought that must, that must be wrong then. No. Okay, yeah. And at no, the end of that show, actually... At, at the at the end of that show, he actually plays a, he plays a duet with Bowie at the end of the episode six. I don't know if they were in the studio at the same time as you guys or if they filmed that another time. It's really funny because after we'd finished, um, you know, everyone buggered off back to the dressing room and all that. And David Bowie was walking around and there was another hero, you know, like I saw, I was at the last two shows at Hammersmith, the Ziggy stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And to see him just 
mincing around the 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 TV studio, you know, kind of walking past him and smelling the air and stuff like that. It was amazing, you know? Like, fucking hell, I just sniffed baby Bowie, you know? And um, me and my friend, one of the road crew, uh, before they shot that last thing, uh, we climbed up into the lighting rig and managed to uh, just sit there quietly and watch all that go on in real life, you know? Um, so I definitely remember that. And then of course it was dreadful, uh, to hear that he passed away. Yeah. Just like two um, weeks later, I think, wasn't it? I think it was even less than that. Oh dear. Um, because, uh, we didn't know if they were going to show that show. I think it was on every week. So mm -hmm. it was literally, it was literally probably six days after, um, and we we were in the Isle of Wight at the time doing a gig. And the only way back in those days, of course, it was difficult to uh, see TV or you couldn't record it. If you missed it, you missed it. Right. We were in the Isle of Wight and the only way we could see it is to stand outside a TV shop who <laughs> had it on. And that was, the, you know, until YouTube came out. 40 years later that was the only the only way we could see it and it was yeah, yeah it was really sad yeah i think i bought a like a, a bad bootleg videotape of it from some shop in manchester at some point i think that was the first time i saw it all right all right uh yeah. getting on to the second album now i i've always wondered it was only geez a year or something but why was the why was the second album so completely different than the first album that is a very good question, and I can only think that um, that somebody got into somebody's mind and suggested <laughs> um, we should get Ian Hunter to produce an album. And I could be more specific, but uh, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. It was Tony, I assume. Well, Tony, Tony's only friend was Mick Jones, really. <laughs> and Mick Jones loved Mott the Hoople. Right. And must have convinced Tony that uh, Ian Hunter would be great for our band. And so, unfortunately, Mick Jones had a lot to do with it, uh, with the decision. And, of course, you know, it's like... Um, no, you can't play Strat. Play Les Paul. It's much more rock and roll. Hmm. Oh. Oh, all right then. Um, and just things like that. But I, I think I read somewhere that Billy also asked that question. Why did we do that? Um, because I agree with him that we should have made another album with Martin Russian in the same way. 100%, um, yeah. bec Because it was a great... You know, it's very quick to do. It was very high-spirited. And like I said, this the Valley of the Dolls, we all suddenly became a bit, you know, poncy and uh, <laughs> took too much time. And we were in a big studio and, hey, let's put an organ on there. Yeah. Ian, can you play the organ? Yes, I'll play the organ. Oh, let's get some girl vocal. You know, it's like, oh, God. 
Well, we, moved, we moved too fast. Uh, I, I'm, it's a good album now. Um, it's, you know, it stood the test of time, but I think we, just, we should have slotted another uh, punky one in there before that, you know? Well, the first album, the first album was very England, very London, and then the second album, you got Night of the Cadillacs, and it's it's a lot more Americanized clearly than the first album it, was. I think Tony was really into Bruce Springsteen as well, so oh, it all boy. became kind of romantic, and you know, hey, well, after they wrote Kiss Me Deadly, which was totally Bruce Springsteen ripoff. Um, <laughs> It all kind it all kind of went that way, and everyone got a little bit too uh, blasé, and you know, grew their hair a bit, and yeah, we we lost the plot totally. Do you know that album? Do you know the album, Tom? I, I do a bit. Well, I would say, was there hope that you could have like a genuine, like big commercial success? I mean, the first album had a fair amount of success, but was was that the was that what you were reaching for? You think at the time, or was that not even really on your minds? Well, it wasn't on my mind, but it was certainly on the record <laughs> ah, company's mind. There you go. That's all they want to do, isn't it? They, isn't isn't in that fact, funny? They, when punk bands do that, it always backfires. It always backfires. Yeah, easy to say. Well, in, easy to know, say in hindsight, right? <laughs> well, that's why I say I haven't been sucked into the corporate world for over thirty years because <laughs> whatever idea you have got, they're going to piss on it True. and ruin it. And I just refuse to do that. You know, I don't, I don't care about the lack of selling millions of records. If my records are fucking great, which I think they are, that's what matters to me. Sure. Um, and like I say, it, it's, people say the record business is so different now. The theory is exactly the same. It's, it, we're going to fuck you up. And actually, we don't even want the band. We're, we're just going to take the lead singer because we can manipulate him. Do he, he will do what we want. That's the whole game, you know? So the second album, I, I, I don't mind the first side so much. I think the second side really drags uh, that Kenny Silvers thing. I, I don't know what the hell that's about. Oh, yeah. uh, you, I know. Yeah. Nor do <laughs> right? I, and I'm the cunt who was playing it. <laughs> uh yeah uh, i mean and obviously you had the big singles because they did have so they had chart success in england time they had well with 45s anyway they had uh king rocker was a huge it was like top 10 i think is that the one you yeah. got four we different on, copies of it yeah colors? i got I, okay. yeah i'm the i'm the idiot who bought all four colors yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were on um, top of the pops like six or seven times i think on with that album you know so yeah, it was, it was a, a success yeah. Well, so how was it? How was the Top of the Pops thing? How was how was how was that miming uh, miming in front of a bunch of dancing teenagers? <laughs> well, the very first time we did it was Your Generation, um, right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think we were the first punk band on, and of course we got slated for that. But um, it was it was really exciting. I mean, God, I'd grown up watching Top of the Pops, you know, sure. like, and yeah, to yeah. be on it. It's like, look, mum, look, look, I'm on it. You know, it's really great. By the third time, it's like, what, we got to spend the whole day at the BBC in Shepherd's Bush? Oh, fucking hell. You know. 
Oh, look, there's Eric Clapton. Let's go and say hello. Oh, God, do we have to, you know. <laughs> it all became very blasé. <laughs> so which other, which other bands were you hanging around with? Were you friends with uh, guys in other punk bands at the time or, or not so much? No, not at all. No? no? Huh. I wasn't, no. no. I know the Clash and the Pistols had a... They had a big rivalry, didn't they, Clash and the Pistols? So we're just wondering if you guys had any friendships or any rivalries, but kept yourselves no. to yourselves, eh? Okay. I used All to right. I used to ha- uh, hang out with the Lurkers. They were good guys. Go. Yeah, good guys. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's listen. Let's listen to a song off the second album. You chose "Running with the Bus Sound," which is uh, yeah, f- first track, right? First track. Yeah, first track yeah. of the album. Probably the best track on the album, if I'm honest. Um, yeah, right. and the only the only one that they ever gave me songwriting credits. That's why I chose that one. Oh, nice. All right. Well, this is yeah. uh, Generation X with Running With The Bus Sound. <laughs> Oh, 
Generation X with the second one tonight. That was uh, that was running with the boss sound off of uh, Kiss Me Deadly, the second album. So were things? No, were no, things... no, 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 no. Value of the Dolls. Value of the Dolls. Shit. Yeah, <laughs> what am I talking about? Yeah, Value of the Dolls. Of course. Yes. You're jumping ahead. There. Yeah. Um, uh, so were things starting to fall apart already at this point, or had you, uh, were you were you still trying to make a go of the whole thing? Um. When did that come out? I think it was early seventy nine. Early seventy nine, yeah, early seventy nine, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have that would have been. Yeah, by by May I left, so it was it was getting pretty horrible for me personally. Um, so I left in May, and uh, we were supposed to go to Japan in June. It was all set up, and so. I think the manager held a meeting uh, to say, could could I rejoin so that we can do this tour? Because every, everyone wanted to go to Japan um, and keep working on the third album. So I said, yeah, okay. But um, this third album that we're working on has to be an equal split on the songwriting because it, it, we were doing it differently. It wasn't the case of Billy and Tony would walk in with a song and here it is. It was more of a, we all contributed, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that happened. And then, uh, and I said, yeah, I'll give it six months. And I gave it six months and I just couldn't, I mean, I don't mean to sound down about it, but 
I just, I suddenly realised that I don't really like these people in this band. <laughs> well, you, I really you, didn't. You got on with Mark, though, right? I mean, the drummer, you, you, you got on with Mark Laugh, right? I did, it, I did get on with Mark. It, it, it was like, um, it was like a, a split band, you know, it was yeah. me and Mark, the drums and guitar would play together live. And then the other side of the stage, it was Billy and Tony doing their posing for the photographs and all that stuff. And yeah, it, it was a, you know, like they say in football, it was a game of two halves. <laughs> but um, it's, uh, it just got too much, you know. I, I just felt stifled. They didn't want me to play guitar like I wanted to play it. They didn't want me to do interviews because I would um, say that I like Deep Purple and Black City. You can't say that. <laughs> you know, it's like, fuck off, I can say what I want. No, you can't. You're not doing interviews anymore. That was it. Oh, God. And it's like, well, why am I here? I don't like these people, so I'm going to leave. So I left. See, In, it, uh, it, it, blows, it blows my mind that they couldn't have listened to that first album and realized the gold that was on that first album and just wanted to keep doing that. I don't know why you'd want to go furrow a different path. It just seems, it just seems, that seems odd to me. Well, once again, it's easy for us to see 20, 30, 40 years later, but at the time it might've yeah, seemed think, like they were, could have, you know, I think Billy was always going for pop star. Far more success. I think. Yeah, maybe. Well, yeah. Yeah. But I must say that the third album that, um, actually I put out myself had dancing with myself on it and all that. Um, it was kind of getting back to that early first album. It yeah. The songs are simpler. Th- yeah, for sure. The songs were simpler. And we, like I say, we all contributed. I got the strat out again. Um, it was, it was just, it was getting back to basics. It's just a shame that all the baggage that was happening was just too, too much to keep together, you know? So how was that Japan um, tour? Was it, was it, was it, was it fun or was it really tough to get through? No, no, it was great. Okay. It was great. Um, it was, yeah. I mean, it was amazing. You know, it was a week in, well, 24 hours getting there, 24 hours getting back. And the rest of the time was, uh, bunch of shows, bunch of girls, you know, it was amazing. Yeah. All right. So, so that third album, so you were, what, you were like halfway through recording it or something when, uh, when, when it all kicked off again and you, and you left? Uh, well, it was all recorded. It it wasn't all mixed. It was all recorded apart from a couple of guitar solos, which I just refused to do. Um, and yeah, I just said, I can't, can't take it anymore. And off I went. So, um, right, so I, yeah. So, t- okay. So tell me a little bit about that because obviously after the band, after you left, after you and Mark left, uh, Billy yeah. and Tony, uh, continued on, they got different guitarists, right? In the band. And they did that third Gen X album. But they didn't they yeah. called Generation X anymore, which was at least they changed the right. name. It was Gen X. Um yeah. and I personally even though it's some of those songs that you had helped write and stuff for the third album, um yeah. it, it, the, the was it James Stevenson on guitar and stuff? It it's just completely pompous and overblown in my opinion. I 
see, I can't answer any of that because I wasn't there. I don't know. I don't know what they did. And the truth is, um, I left just at the end of 79 and I'd already made plans with Mark Laff um, that we're going to get our own fucking band together and we're going to call it Empire and we're going to carry on kind of similar musically to what we were doing on that third album. Um, and then so I left and Mark stayed and I was like, what? Um, and then they fired him about two months later and, and we eventually carried on and did Empire. But it, it was just just one of those funny things, you know, it's like, okay, let's go. <laughs> and Mark stayed behind. So, so Billy and Tony, obviously, so Billy and Tony put out that third Gen X album, and then you, yeah. not that long ago, right, you put out uh, your original tapes from that third album, right, and it was called, uh, what was it? it was, uh, Sweet damn, Revenge. Sweet Revenge, KMD, so uh, I assume there's something in the name there, right? You guys have a pretty bad falling yeah. out or whatever? Yeah, I thought it was quite funny. Yeah, I didn't know um, it is. <laughs> and it, it is. And it was it was actually twenty years ago or something. It wasn't recent. I did that twenty years ago. Oh it was, Jesus. <laughs> so when you when it when you get older, I, everything is everything is a few years ago, right? I know. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. Yeah. No, I I understand. Um but yeah, yeah. So well, see, when we were doing that album, I used to take home the tapes on a uh, quarter inch reel to reel. So I could listen, work out parts, you know, be ready for the morning. Um, and so I ended up with all the reel to reel tapes of that album and sat on them for a number of years. And, uh, somebody suggested to me that I should put them out. So I did. Um, and how did you <laughs> Just did you have historical any historical document? You know, you didn't have any legal issues with the other guys putting those out. They didn't sue, try to sue the pants off you or something. Oh yeah, they stopped it in in uh, the USA. Cease and desist, uh-huh. from, uh, Billy and Tony, uh, and then about three or four years later, they put it out themselves uh-huh. on Capitol Records with the <laughs> anthology. So it was more so, a matter uh, what, of them controlling the situation. Well, it was a matter of them saying, cease and desist, this is not up to the quality of a finished album. And then they put it out themselves. <laughs> so it was a money thing. Always money. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So there you well, go. Well, what can you do? What can you do? All right, so that was so that. Was that. So then... Uh, had you had some of those Empire songs already figured out, or did, was that going in the studio with Mark and the, and the bass player and just knocking them out? Uh, just me and Mark went into the studio, um, and it was it was a slow process because um, they actually didn't give me my equipment back for six months, so I couldn't do fuck? anything. What? Yeah, yeah. I hate to go on about it, but I no. don't usually talk about it, but you guys seem to have a good ear for it, so I'm moaning away here. No, it is it, um, is, it is what it is. I mean, yeah, it's, that's, that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I finally got my uh, Marshall amp back, 
And by that time, it was quite a good thing, actually, because um, I'd managed to sit down and write a couple of songs, which I was really learning how to do. Um, I hadn't written any songs in Gen X, but I'd taken notes on how they came about, and I wanted to do it myself, you know? Um, so, yeah, after about six months, me and Mark went into a little demo place and put down some demos, and then six months after that, we got a bass player and made an album. Um, and then I think it was May 81, we put out Expensive Sound, which died a fucking death. Well, nobody it's... liked it. Nobody, the press ignored it. If they didn't ignore it, we got tarred with the same hateful stuff that Gen X had been tarred with. You know, oh, dreary vocals, wailing guitars, oh, don't bother. You know, <laughs> and, it, and it was like, oh, God, here we go. And then 10 years later, Somebody re-releases it in uh, America, and it starts a whole friggin' yep. scene in, in Washington D.C. Yep. where everyone goes, "This is the greatest album ever," and and everyone starts mentioning it and taking pieces of it for their own bands and having great success. And I've got to tell you that that was the most surprising thing in my life. That and honoured thing that someone would think what we did as kids because we were still twenty. Yeah, uh, oh. I was I, I was actually going to ask you all about that because uh, exactly that because how influential it became over the years because um, Tom I don't know if you <laughs> if you I don't know if you ever heard it but um like Ian McKay, Henry Rollins, they all I guess I guess one person or someone had a copy in DC of that album and everybody right. listened to it. And yeah, like, not, for, I must admit I'm not not very familiar. Unlike Fugazi, uh that took a lot of stuff from it. So is that and, to say yeah. that it's a little more a little more uh like proto emo kind of thing or like a uh, post punky a little bit. Uh, okay. g- chorus guitars, fractured rhythms. Um, it, hmm. it's it's just interesting. Really good. Writes a spring. Now, the funny thing about this, Derwood, uh, <laughs> and you'll you'll get a kick out of this. So, I was mm. in. Uh, I went to school in Manchester from eighty one to eighty four, whatever it was, and um, right. So you know the music press, we get sounds and an enemy every week, right? But yeah, you guys didn't get a lot of press. But um, we used to go right. to a record store in paper ch- uh, in Manchester called Paper Chase. Uh, well, there was any mm. number of record stores we used to go to. But anyway, we went to this one called Paper Chase. And um, funnily enough, the guy that was working there was actually turned out to be the first bass player in the Stone Roses. Um, oh, wow. His, his name was Pete Garner. But anyway, he loved Generation X and he loved that Empire album. And ah. he 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 blagged it up to us, and we bought it and brought it home, and then we loved oh, it too. Wow. Me and make call, so yeah, so we had that Empire album super early, and it was all because of Pete from uh, Stone Roses, who I think was, it, I think he was in the band until they got popular. <laughs> he got kicked out, Pete, I think. But nice guy. That, that kind of thing to to me and people like me is just such a fucking buzz and such an honor because. I relate it to myself where 
I kind of went back and and uh, listened to old blues things and and you know and took things not stealing but just took the vibe and uh, and uh, for someone to to do that to my music it's just it's so such a buzz that yeah. I could influence fucking anyone you know it's, yeah. it's a lo- lovely feeling yeah it's it's crazy right yeah um yeah so uh, th- that was on a small label though right who 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 put that out yeah um, yeah dinosaur discs the guy who, who was that the guy uh david skillen he sold his house in order to build a studio and he had a record shop above it and we were the first thing on his label and uh yeah it's all very small and rinky dink but like I say, after the uh, episode with Generation X, I really didn't want to dive back into, uh, a, you know, a massive corporation. Yeah. And and I also didn't want to have a bloody singer that drove you crazy, <laughs> uh, which is why I decided to sing it myself. It wasn't yeah. because I wanted to be a frontman singer. It was because I didn't want another one to have to deal with you know oh interesting with their yeah with their eccentricities and all that stuff all right a buddy of mine who who really loves the album too from over here hold on a second he wanted to ask mm. he wanted he wanted me to ask you about um a certain song that was on there hold on a second cuz it wasn't on the original album it was on one of the represses that has like a ton of extra tracks and stuff on a uh, cd yeah yeah uh, hold on, I gotta find it because I don't remember the name of the song. Because, like I said, it wasn't on the regular album. Um, okay. Do do do. Hold your horses here a second. It's on the CD, and it was Parkinson Cowan. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what? Yeah. <laughs> now, what is that about? It's about a cooker, right? <laughs> That's yeah. what I thought. Why did you write now, a song about a cooker? Well, it might sound crazy, but it made sense at the time because we were actually, the only place we could rehearse is in the bass player's kitchen in his ah. in his house. So we would set up the three, you know, the drums, the bass and the guitar, and I think I'd sing through my Marshall, and uh, we'd, we'd rehearse in his kitchen, and he had a beautiful Parkinson Cowan gas cooker. And while we were jamming this song, I was staring at this cooker, you know, because it was right there. Are we talking about a stove? Uh, yeah, stove. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like, I mean, a stove. That's a rock and roll, isn't it? <laughs> cooker is a logical term for that, but okay. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. man. So we're jamming away, and I'm singing, you know, I'm humming, blah, blah, blah. And I just started singing Parkinson Cowan as the chorus um, because it was right staring at me. And it became, you know, it was funny for about five minutes, but then it became serious. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Parkinson Cowan. Uh, yeah, it's a really, you know. <laughs> so but Generation that, X that, is singing about Night of the Cadillacs and you're singing about a cooker. I guess that's why it's exactly, it ends yeah. up being that's a awesome. B-side. That's why it was a B-side, right? You know, that's why it was an extra track. That's why it was one of the extra tracks, uh, I guess. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. 
No, it's a well, good show, what, though, man. No, it is. No, it is. And that's why, that's why. So there you go, Brad. Now you have the story behind Parkinson Cowan. <laughs> yeah. So let, let's and listen to an you, Empire song. Thank you for asking. There you go. Yeah. Um, so which, which Empire song did you choose? I think I chose uh, All These Things. Did you I? You did. You did, yeah. Now, what is, what is that one about? Uh, just, it's really about the the angst of a young man and just feeling really lonely and not belonging to anything. Um, you know, uh, and I like it because it's the first time that I used like a semi-acoustic guitar um, as a rhythm guitar, which freed up um, the Stratocaster to, to um, you know, mainly just do the solo and, and uh, a little underneath thing under the vocal. Sorry, I'm getting technical, but I, I, I really like that song. And it was the B-side of our only single, which was Hot Seat. So that's that. And it goes like this. <laughs> Thank you. 
All right, that was All These Things by Empire off of Expensive Sound. And I have to say, my favorite song on the album is Safety, which I think was probably the... F- was that the first track on the second side, I think? Yeah. Oh, right. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah it's, it's got that big big guitar in that one. I like that one a lot. Yeah. Thanks. So, oh, yeah, of course. So at what point did you decide to uh, put the pin into Empire and, and do something else? Um. Well, or, or, or is that, there anything else you want to talk about Empire? Is there, is there anything, anything else you want to tell us about Empire? Well, just just briefly, that it we had no success at all, as I said, um, with the original band. I think we did four gigs, hmm. and then and the trouble is when you when you're young, anyone who says anything, you consider however crazy it is, you yeah. know, about, about what you're doing band wise. And people would, would say, um, you need a singer. You really need a singer. And I was like, Oh, I know, I know. I don't want to sing, but I don't want to get a singer because they're all, they're all the same. You know, they, <laughs> they're just going to get big heads and, and all, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, Eventually, I said, okay, we'll get a singer. Um, and the good news was it freed me up to play the guitar, which is all I was really interested in. Um, but, yes, the singer got a big head after about three years, and it just all, you know, it just... The band that I had started with love and passion um, had morphed into a band that the singer wanted to be in, um, Mark Lafford left, the singer brought his drummer in, and we turned out kind of like a funk band. Oh, dear. And, uh, yeah, well, not really funk. I mean, it was rock and roll, but it wasn't what I'd started out doing. Sure. And I cursed, yeah. I cursed all the people that <laughs> told me <laughs> I should do this <laughs> and I should do that. Because I'm pretty sure if I'd have just carried on as a three-piece, you know, for the next five years, it it would eventually have been accepted um, and we'd have been three albums in and probably doing some good tours. Because we did end up doing some good tours, but it was just, uh, it wasn't what I wanted to do anymore, you know? So who who who, who was this mystery singer? Anybody we'd know? Well, uh, well unfortunately, he he was a good friend of mine. And even though we split up and it was, it wasn't all his fault. I mean, I take the blame too. Um, he actually passed away last year and I'm not, I'm, I'm not being kind because of that. Um, we never actually fell out, you know, Mm. we were still in touch. And in fact, me and him made some music recently. Um, he was a great singer, but it just, it, like I say, it wasn't my vision anymore, yeah. and I had to—I just had to stop. But yeah, Babel Wallace was his name. Was he in any other bands uh, that we'd know? Um, he was in a really good, uh, like a hippie band in London called Miles Over Matter. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. No, but no, but uh, you know, kind of Camden scene band, but. I mean, he was a great guy and a great singer, and uh, I, I miss him. I do. 
So did I see on Discogs, by the way, talking about this, that there was a second uh, Empire album that came out in like 2009? Is Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah. There's a expansive sound, which is really for train spotters. It's a lot, lot of spare tracks and B-sides and live. Oh, okay. So it wasn't stuff. like the band got back together again and stuff. It was like a no. compilation. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Right. right. That right, makes sense. Right. All right. All right. But it's it's pretty good. Pretty All good. right. Yeah. Okay. So um, Empire Falls Apart. And then, uh, damn, you hit the big time again, I guess, right? I hit the big time again. <laughs> How did I do that? <laughs> In Westworld, my friend, you had a big hit, didn't you? Oh, yeah, but hang on a minute. There's a, oh. there's a, a lot. Between the end of Empire and the beginning of Westworld, there was oh, a... Oh, shit. Okay, tell, it, tell us all about it. Well, the, it was basically learning how to record music. Me and the bass player from Empire uh, used to break into a studio and record all night and leave before the cleaners came in <laughs> and... We did that for about a year or two, and he taught me how to record, you know, because I've always been interested in the actual process of how how do you yeah. make a record. Um, so that was, the, I call that the lost years of great education, because I had nowhere to live. We were squatting, we were breaking in, we were record. you know, it was like guerrilla recording and we were doing all this stuff and all that and eventually got very tired of that stressful kind of life. Um, of course with drugs and alcohol involved. Yeah. And, uh, and suddenly thought I've been doing this almost 10 fucking years and I haven't made a penny. Um, I've got to do something. And I just had this, revelation of uh forming this band i met this girl elizabeth mm-hmm. um and she was playing in a friend's band and i went down to rehearsal and cut a long story short i basically stole her and the rest of the band from my friends which is a terrible thing to do but i i tell you why because I said to him, he wanted to be the singer, right? And I said to him, there's no way that anyone is going to come and see this band with you singing and this beautiful girl banging a tambourine in the background. <laughs> she should be the lead singer. Of course. And yeah. he's, he's, he said to me, uh, over my dead body, am I going to be behind a female singer? And... I said, okay, well, I'm taking your band then. <laughs> and that's what I did. And uh, we sat around for a bit. We discussed our likes, our preferences, what we should do. Um, I told Elizabeth, go cut your hair like Elvis Presley, which she did. Um, I said, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. We're going to call it Westworld. Are you in or out? And the bass player said, I'm not interested. The drummer, Nick Burton, said, yep, I'm in. 
And we just set about creating this rock and roll, hip hoppy kind of band. And we did it all ourselves. We recorded, wrote, and made a single, and we drove around London and put it on record, com- uh, record shop counters and said, give it away. And we created this whole buzz with Sonic Boom Boy. And, uh, and then we signed a record deal. I was going to say, you signed to a, you signed to RCA, another big major record label, right? Exactly. <laughs> and that, that was mistake number three. Um, but we did it. And, of course, a record company that has the buzz of a hit single um, can't wait to put it out. And they put it out in February. We signed the deal in December. They put it out in February. And it was a huge hit, of course, because we'd done all the fucking work ourselves. Um, And from that point on, we could never catch ourselves up by recording an album um, because we were out promoting that song all over Europe. Yeah. And and we, we... you know, as we finished a song in the studio, RCA would put it out. There was no thought to it. There was no plan. We didn't have an album ready to go. Yeah. And we just ne- we just never caught ourselves up. And that was that was uh, the beginning of the end of that. Really, it's oh, a shame. Okay. Yeah, the the way you said that band got put together, it actually reminded me of what Malcolm McLaren did with uh, Adam and the Ants, right? He took Adam's whole band away from him and formed Bow Wow Wow behind Annabella. So it was yeah, <laughs> kind yeah. of the same thing. Yeah. Well, I yeah. so so um all right, well we should we should play uh Sonic Boom Boy cuz this I mean this was a this was a huge hit all over the place, right? All over Europe. It it really was, yeah. Yeah, it was great. And and, you know, for once, I think it lasted for a couple of years, but we all had such a good time, you know, really good laugh. It was great fun. It, it, and it ran its course, you know, and it was great. But yes, this song was, I remember writing it and finishing it and thinking, this is it, you know, and it was. Well, there you go. Let's listen to this. This is Westworld from, I think it was like 1987 or something like that, right? With yep. uh, with the big hit, smash it, Sonic Boom Boy.
All right, that was Westworld with Sonic Boom Boy. So who else was in the band? There was you, there was Elizabeth Westwood, right? Westwood and Nicky Burton, who was... Nick, Nicky Burton. Nick, okay. Nick Burton, who was a very funny guy and quite an amazing uh, musician because he was not only a drummer, but he was a great guitar player as well. So we would have him either playing drums or, or playing the acoustic guitar. You know, it was, it was very good to have just three people. Um, and it was, like I say, it was good fun. Very good fun. So how did you, how did that, I mean, did you play a lot of gigs live? I mean, how did that, if it's only a three piece, was that, because the sound of Sonic Boom Boy, it's very, it's very studio, yeah. right? I, I mean, how, how did that come across live? Well, we were, I think, one of the first bands that went out on tour with computers. Hmm. Um, the the machinery we used to make the records, which were Akai S900s and a sequencer and all that, we actually took that out on the road, which was kind of dangerous because in the late 80s, that equipment wasn't very uh, road worthy mm-hmm. and and had no fucking memory at all you know we had to reload on stage three times so you know your fingers are cr- the guy who was doing all that um behind us instead of a drummer was reloading the next few songs and of course it was like fingers crossed I hope yeah. no one spilt beer on the floppy disk. <laughs> you know, because what do you do if that don't work? You just stand there like a lemon. But yeah, um, it never happened. It, it always worked. It was all solid state stuff. Hmm. And uh, so we did quite a few tours, yeah. We we supported uh, Gary Glitter once on a... Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know his name is Mud now. It is, um, but at the time, yeah, at the time, yeah. Well, but at the time, the greatest shows in England were Gary Glitter at Christmas time. Oh, yeah. It was just great fun, you know, leader, leader. And uh, to support him on a whole tour, it was just amazing. Um, yeah. yeah I, can so imagine the, I, I can imagine the Christmas, yeah, it would either be him or play with Slade or something doing a Christmas song. Yeah. It would be, it would be yeah, pretty fucking yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, well, and at the same time as you were doing this, kind of, uh, Tony James was doing his whole Zeke Zeke Spugnik thing, right? I don't know if yeah. you ever listened. If you ever listened to any of that? Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, that that really influenced me because it. I think it came out around the same time. Yeah, if not I was before. Say, yeah. yeah. If, if not before, and we used to go and see him play, and I'd be like, "This is a great idea. I love it." Except you can't fucking dance to it. It's yeah. it's not a, a dance beat. And so, you know, I was like, we should do something like this, but make it a dance beat. There should be more hip-hop in it, which was more what Mick Jones was doing with uh, Big Old Audio Dynamite. Yeah. So we kind of, we we nicked a few things off, off all that. But the thing we did bring into it uh, was the rock and roll you know, the old rock and roll element. Yeah, there's some rockabilly in there for sure. Yeah, yeah, because we all loved that anyway, you know. Yeah. Were you playing the Strat um, again at that time? No, I, I had a 
I had a couple of guitars made that were uh, Bo Diddley square guitars. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Um, to uh, pay homage to another one of my heroes, you know. Um, yeah, so that was that. Now, had you stayed? Had you stayed in touch at all with either Tony or Billy at this time, or were you guys completely, uh, completely estranged, kind of thing? Um, during that time, I, I was still kind of talking to Tony occasionally, but no, I haven't spoken to Billy for forty years. I wouldn't Jesus. think. Jesus! Wow! Yeah, yeah. Because I know um, they did. Tony... A, I know they did a. I, I know they did a Generation X reunion at some point. I don't, I don't know if you were involved with that at all. I don't think you were, were you? I did. I did that one in 1993. Yeah, yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. Yeah, but it, but it was. It really wasn't a reunion. It was a. It was Billy Idol's encore. You know, six songs at one oh, of his shows. Okay. All right. And hmm. uh, like I say, I don't think I even spoke to him then. It's like, fuck it, now he was whisked off somewhere. Superstar, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, what can you do? Um, um, yeah. And then they do. And then they're doing this. Well, what do you think about this generation sex thing they're doing right now? Oh, um, with uh, with Steve Jones and uh, Paul Cook. Wow. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I, I guess it would be nice to hear some of the songs again if he's doing it for the right reasons, but I, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know really. Yeah, I, I, I don't know either. I think yeah, what, you, what he needs to do, what, what Derwin needs to do, is team up with Johnny Lydon. <laughs> there you go. Unfortunately, you can't do the X Pistols right because Dave Goodman already stole that. Yeah, I don't know true. what you call yourselves, but you could get. Uh, I'm sure. Uh, What's a bass player's name? You know, it's slipping my mind. The oh, Glenn. Get yeah. Glenn. Yeah, Glenn to do it. Yeah. Sure, Glenn and yeah, get Glenn and Johnny. Well, and well, it's funny. It's funny you mention that because Durwood didn't you have like a short-lived thing, a short-lived band with Glenn Matlock at some point? Uh, yeah, and it was it was called Dead Horse, and it was me, Glenn, and Rat. Um, Rat's Gabies, yeah. mm-hmm. And a, a friend of ours called Gary Twin singing. And uh, in actual fact, I've just done a little deal. Um, and the tapes of that, which are sound amazing, are going to come out uh, early next year. So, oh, fantastic. Um, <clears throat> Dead Horse. Yes. Do you have a whole album or is it just, it was just a couple of tracks? It's a seven track album. Wow. Like the like the old days. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be looking I'll be um, looking forward to that. Yeah, we had we had Glenn on the show uh a while ago now, but what a gentleman that man is. It's great. Oh I love I love Glenn, yeah. And he's such yeah. a great bass player. But I don't think he gets on with uh John Lydon, so that would never <laughs> happen. So. <laughs> True enough. No, yeah, he made that pretty clear he made it pretty clear that those they were not uh, very friendly at the moment. Yeah. So. There's just so much baggage with all these old guys, you know. It's like, oh god, really? Um, well, the funny, the funny thing about the Generation Sex thing is, I, I, I think, <clears throat> I think they're doing some some good Generation X songs, but then I think the Sex Pistols stuff they do 
I think it's all that later stuff, uh, like the, a lot of the Steve, the stuff that Steve wrote, like well, on the covers, like "Come on, everybody" and something else and stuff, and some yeah. of the stuff off that, off that, like uh, I can't remember the name of the stupid uh, movie they did, but some of the, uh, some of the stuff off of that. So I don't think they're doing any of the good sex. Ah, uh, the great rock and roll, great rock and roll, great rock and roll swindle. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's he was drawing a blank there. Yeah, they're doing so, some I mean, of the so right. stuff. I mean, that. are they not doing like God Save the Queen and Eric and UK nope. and stuff? Nope. Oh, I would, I would tear the theater apart like the old they, days. Yeah, they're doing silly thing and stuff like that, which is still a good song. Yeah, but yeah. It's it, it's not any of the classic pistol stuff you would. I, yeah, I don't know how Billy do. would do. I mean, they they both had a sneer, but I don't know that Billy could really pull off some of that. No. Well, I don't Classic. think Johnny can either Pistol anymore. Stuff. But... <laughs> well, you, you know, I don't know if Johnny can anymore either, but he's earned the right to try if he wants to. Yeah, exactly correct. Yeah, exactly correct. All right, dude, we're getting yeah. back to you. So after, um, so how how did Westworld come to uh, come to be no more? What what happened there? Uh, well, the record company threw us off, which was fair enough. Um, they didn't release our second album, and. It was a dreadful, I remember 1989 being such a dreadful, sad year because I thought I'd finally made it and, uh, you know, and it was all gone and I had to go and sign on the dole again and it was like, oh God. And then out of the blue came this shining star um, record company with tons of money and they wanted us to make an album, uh, a new Westworld album. Oh, wow. And so this was 89. And for the next four years, they gave us loads of money, loads of drugs. <laughs> and they, they shipped us off to Arizona, to the, the desert. <clears throat> and we lived in a Frank Lloyd Wright house in a little town in north of Phoenix. And we just partied for about four years. And it was, I was 30 odd and it was the greatest time. It was because when I was a kid watching Westerns with my dad yeah, was one of my favorite pastimes on a Saturday, that and wrestling. Oh, for sure. And, yeah. uh, Me too. you know, yeah. And, all of a sudden, I live in a small town, like a cowboy town, with cowboys <laughs> yeah, and guns. I think you're dreaming, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it was, you know, like for three or four years, we just lived there, and it, it, which is why I live where I do now, because once you get the desert in your blood, I couldn't get rid of it. I couldn't live in a city yet again. You know, I had to be in big space. Hmm. and uh, see the night stars and, you know, all that stuff. So uh, what was a, a disaster at the end of the 80s turned into a whole new beginning, and it was great. Wow. Yeah. What's and the so, next record? Well, the next one the next one you picked was actually uh, Derwood and the Rat. So oh. I don't... I don't have another. I don't have another Westworld. So that was that album, Movers and Shakers, right? That actually came out in '91. So you did take right. years to put that shit together. Okay. That's uh, right. Yeah. So what happened, to MCA? Then the, all the money ran out at some point. <laughs> um, MCA was wasn't actually the record company we oh, were signed to. It okay. was licensed. 
to them. Oh, so okay. they had they had no input. We, we were with a tiny, independent, very wealthy record company, which oh. was perfect, you know. <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah, it just all fell apart as usual. But like I said, we had the greatest time. So that's cool. um, and and now you yeah. lived in the states, so okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I came back to England after that because we eventually ran out of everything, including time, and we had to get out of where we were and came back to England and uh, and formed uh, a band called Moondog, which I didn't tell you to play. Um, oh, you actually so, did. You I mean, actually did. You, you actually did. You had the, the your newest single, I believe, is the one that you picked out. If it's the same Moon Dog, I assume it is. Oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so we kind of me and Elizabeth carried on, and we melded into this band called Moon Dog, which we took back to England, and we landed right in the middle of the London drum and bass scene, which was mm. just starting in. 93, 94, and we made uh, a bunch of music doing that. And it, it was really exciting and fun musically. Um, and yes, uh, the the Love Light Fire thing, is that what I sent you? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, that, see, that's a Gen X song, yep, uh, Generation X song. Yep. And that just came out a couple of months ago, and it's actually number seven in the 365 radio chart in London at the moment. Wow. I'm proud to say, yes. Someone just suggested that he would love to hear Elizabeth and me do a version of Love Like Fire. And at first I'm like, fuck off. I'm, <laughs> you know, what, who, I'm not. And then I suddenly started thinking about what it would sound like. And I thought, actually, that's not a bad idea. And so we did it just a few weeks ago and um, put it out, yeah. Like, All right, well, let's... Not, yeah, play well that. Yeah. Might as well listen to it, yeah. yeah let's give this a yeah. listen. So this is Moondog with two Gs doing uh, yeah. Love Like Fire, which is a new new single, right? Yeah.
sorry to um, mess up your order. <laughs> But, Didn't no yeah. no no it's happened that, that we do whatever we want on this show it's absolutely fine it's out, so so Moondog has been a thing that you've been doing for like thirty years then yeah 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 so just That's what right. you guys just you're obviously not on the record label so you only put things out whenever you feel like you want to put it out precisely yeah and it's it's a Moondog collective there's a, there's a few people involved. I've got my guy back in London who does all the like dub remixes and stuff like that. And his little um, record label puts out an album now and again. Yeah, it's a, that's the kind of community I love to be involved in. You know, people that can actually do things really well. Mm-hmm. And, and their word is their bond. And, you know, just, just, good people it's like why fuck around like just do it like you guys seem to be the same kind of people um in as much as you got good questions you listen and you call me exactly at 6 30 now that shows <laughs> me that you're serious you yeah know? yeah we're nothing it if, wasn't if not professional right now <laughs> yeah we try we try and be you know we try and be as much as we can you know <laughs> i think it's a worthy cause i really do yeah i mean that's what you know punk rock was all about being honest and being the best you could be even if you couldn't play the guitar you'd do your best you know yeah. if you had the ideas the at- yeah, get them get them out there yeah it's the attitude it's not so much the three chords and and the shouting down the microphone to me, punk rock is an attitude that I've had for, you know, nearly 50 years. It, it's just be be cool, be right, and be truthful, you know, and be, be on time. Be on time. So there was, another band called, <laughs> there was another band called Speed Twin you did as well. What, what was that one? It was uh, my friend Gary Twin, who sang in De- um, Dead Horse. We had a country band in mm. Los Angeles. And we did that for a couple of years and that was mighty fun. And we made one record and it, it was, uh, I really got to play the slide guitar in that. I really liked that. Mm. And I liked, I liked, I liked pushing myself into areas that I'm not comfortable with and I'm a bit naive about. Because you come up with things you you would not normally do, you know. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. actually fast. It's actually fascinating because it just seems like you do stuff whenever you want to do it and whatever you're feeling, right? And, and then you put something out or on whatever label you feel comfortable with. That's the way it seems, anyway. It's, it's kind of like that. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of stress and a lot of pacing around and smoking and going. Oh my god, what am I doing? But what you just said is the plan. Yeah, I do, I do what I want when I want to do it. Now, do you have to have a full time? Do you have a full time job, or is is as being a musician your full time job? I I have had two jobs in my life. Now, one was before um, Ge- uh, Generation X. I was a royal gardener for Princess Margaret. When wow. I left school. Holy shit. Yeah. I signed the Official Secrets Act when I was 16 because I was working behind enemy lines. 
<laughs> and I used to mow her lawn every Wednesday afternoon as a side job. But holy crap, I was, that's, a, I was a, that's big. That's big. I was a hort, uh, apprentice royal hort, horticulturalist. Indeed, you were. Um, <laughs> yes. And then my second, well, no, sorry, I had three jobs. My third job, I was a motorcycle messenger in Los Angeles for two years, which was the hellish, most hellish job I could ever think of. Because um, it was very dangerous. Oh, God, yes, yeah, super fucking dangerous, yeah. Stressful. And then when I hit 50 years old, I went back to school and I took a course on being a radio broadcaster and I got a job at our local radio station as an assignment reporter and reported on all the local news and I really enjoyed that. Hmm. And it it was kind of like, uh, well, it's just great because I was recording my stories like you're doing now and there was a lot of editing to do so I was familiar with that and I got to know my local area very well I got to know all the big cheeses all the assholes all the you know I really got to know my area where I live very well through that job and uh, then I went back to music and thought, okay, let's make an album. Hmm. So are, are, you, are you still uh, doing the radio thing or not? No, no. No, no. okay. All right. No. Well, it's, okay. It's so, funny though, right, Neil, because of the people, Americans, like, when they hear a British man talk, they take it more seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I could I, see that. I like, was, like yeah, people would yeah. respond to that. Yeah. And I, I was pretty good. You know, I did my research and my stories were short and... You know, kind of like rock and roll, you know, writing a song. You go and yeah. write a story and, and make it two and a half minutes, get your point across. Yep. Get out. And, and get uh, out. Yeah. And get out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't believe yeah. you haven't lost your accent at all. It's still it's still very strong. I know. I guess I, I speak to uh, people back home like all yeah. the time. So yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, and yeah. that London accent is... It's much stronger than that northern accent, right, Neil? I mean, the- oh, if I was right off the boat, Tom, you wouldn't be able to understand me, mate. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, if I had a, if I was a thick Scouse accent, you'd be you'd be huh. confused. It wouldn't be as bad as Newcastle yeah. or something, but it would it would still well, be. But the thing with bad. him, he's still got his accent. But I can understand him. We've had some of these freaking English guys on, Neil. I just go, I just, I'm just like <laughs> nodding my head. And I don't understand what they say. So I could, I could, he's right, doing right. pretty good. Of course, he yeah. got used to talking to Americans on his uh, radio thing, so he had to, I don't know, speak enunciate. slowly. Yeah, he had yeah, to back. enunciate. He could be on the BBC, for God's sakes. There you go. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. All right, so tell us how tell us how you came to do this album. Was it last year you did this one with Ratscabies? How did that come about? Um, it came, I'll, I'll tell you really briefly, because it's a long story. Now, the pandemic affected the whole world, I know, and... The way it affected me was um, I'd met Mark Lash just before the pandemic hit, and we decided, hey, let's do, on the 40th anniversary of us putting out Expensive Sound with Empire, let's do a follow-up album. 
Hmm. And he was like, yeah. Uh, and then the pandemic hit. He lives in France. I live in California. There was no travel. Um, and he, for some reason, he couldn't get together sending me files of drumming in order for me to make an album here. And it just never happened. Hmm. And so I put, I wrote all the songs and demos and all that shit. And like I said, it just petered out and I was like, oh, well. And then I, I started working with Rat on uh, some film soundtracks. And uh, he was sending me his drums and I was placing them and spinning them in and doing this and that. And I suddenly thought of this album that was just sitting on the shelf. And I said to Rat, I've got a whole album here. Do you want to carry on uh, and do this? And he was like, yeah, all right. So he started sending me all these amazing drums to all the uh, songs I was sending him. And eventually, after about three months or something, I put them all in to order and made this album. And I said, well, I can't call it Empire because it would be unfair to Mark Lash because... He's not right. on it, you know. Um, so I said, look, I'm just going to call it Derwood and a Rat. He's like, okay. And uh, then, yes, I, I think we put it out uh, four months ago, I think. Two months, I don't know. Yeah, you, it's, it's you very it, new, though. Well, it's funny, you said you didn't really hang out with those a lot of other bands back in the day in that punk scene. Do, have you known, I mean, you've known Rat for... Since like the late seventies, or did you come across each other? No, later? no, no. I I was accurate on that because I didn't really meet Rat until the nineties, um, and we became fast friends, uh, but not at the not in the seventies or or the eighties. No, I, I didn't. I didn't really know anyone like that, you know. Hmm. Um, but yeah, me and Rat have been working together on odd things for many years, but had never made a whole album. So it really worked out well. And um, yeah, so we did this uh, this album that kind of started off as a 40-year anniversary follow-up to Expensive Sound, but ended up not really being that. But there's a little bit of that in there. Excellent. Well, you picked out a song from that to play. I think you picked the song "She Came True," which you don't know. Was that yeah. was that like the lead track off the album or the single or whatever? However you want to put it. It's uh, it's one well, like the expensive sound album. The album starts with an instrumental. Mm -hmm. um, so this is track number two, and uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite. It's one of the first ones that I did. Yeah. It's okay. Cool. What's this one about? About three minutes. <laughs> you Sorry, know what I, I meant. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's about my love for women, strong women, women that can really change the world, you know? Okay. Well, let's listen to, uh, let's, let's listen to Bob's love song. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is She yeah. Came True. She Came True from uh, Derwood and the Rat.
That was the last one tonight, I believe. That was She Came True from Derwood and the Rat. And uh, that album is available, I guess, so people can buy it if they if they want, I assume, right? It's on your list on yes. your band camp. I know that. It's on my band camp. It's on all the streaming places, which I hate, but I did put it up on there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's all available. And it's available on multicolored vinyl from Germany as well. From Germany. Okay. <laughs> Gotta go yeah, to Germany yeah. to buy it. Damn it! Uh, no, I've got some here. I mean, if oh. people want to buy it in the states, uh, I've got mm-hmm. some here. Well, there you go. Well, it says on the it says on the Bandcamp site sold out. So there we go. I'm waiting. I think tomorrow I'm going to get another batch. So oh, lovely! You'll you'll look at it tomorrow, hopefully, and there'll be a new batch with a different cover as well. Oh, with a different cover. Okay, yeah, yeah. I can see you had a big beard yeah. these days. I see that. Yeah. So your your band camps uh, your band camps the best place place to get you. I'm sorry, what was that? I'm saying your band play, your band camp is the best place for people to get music from you. Oh yeah, I, I only just discovered it um, a few months ago. It's a really good. It's a really good place for someone like me to to put all my stuff. You know. Yeah, it's much more artist friendly, is what we've got. It really is. It really is, and they pay much better than anyone else, and you don't get buried, you know, um, like with Apple Music, you just get buried amongst everything. It's like, how can anyone ever find you? And when you are found, you get zero 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 point one of a cent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, what's the point? So when you, I, you, when you get your check and it's less than the stamp that they put on the envelope to send it to you, right? <laughs> Exactly. So I'm. I'm a. At the moment, I'm a big fan of Bandcamp, and that's where all my stuff's going to be. Yeah. Do you uh, do you do social media? Yes, I do. Yeah, I, I I try and keep up with it, but I'm. I kind of. I'm opposed. The only way to really succeed in that, because my wife works in social media too. Um is to spend 12 hours a day at the computer <laughs> yeah. bugging everyone. Um, and that's just not in my DNA. I can't do it. You know, it, I can make the music and I can make it available, 
but I can't make you buy it. I just can't. It, it's something cheap about it, you know. Sure. So are you are you on are you on Facebook though? Can people find you on Facebook? Yes, I'm on or? Facebook. <clears throat> yeah, uh, Derwood uh, Andrews on Facebook, whatever it is at Derwood. Instagram, yeah. I'm on wow. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, you, you know, I was just going to say I just put up, mainly I put up silly photos of my dogs and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fair enough. Are you are you still in touch with Elizabeth Westwood or whatever? I mean, that's not who you're married to, is it? <coughs> no, not at all. No. Oh, okay. Um, I was just I was yeah, just wondering. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I am in touch with her because we just made a record last week, didn't we? Yeah, that was the, that was the moon that was the moon dog thing, right? Yeah, no, that's that's the reason I asked is because uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yes, we're good friends. Good, good, good. Well, yeah. um, I, I have you got anything? Okay, so you've got that. You got the moon dog thing, the love like fire single. You've got um, yeah. the rat and the Derwood and the rat, and you got this yeah. uh, Andy Blade uh, single coming out. Andy Blade from Eater. Yeah. You got that single coming out, and you got this dead horse thing coming out next year. What? Anything else that we can look That's for right. from Derwood? Yeah. Well, the the other thing um, is my tone poet stuff. Now, this is where I got rid of my guitar and bought a lap steel guitar and started to learn that. And I've made five or six albums with that. And wow. at the moment, that's the only thing that I'm actually going out and playing, like at shows. Hmm. And when I say shows, I mean like little bars, you know, in mm-hmm. town. Um, so I'm doing that as well, yeah. Tone Poet, that's all over <laughs> the place as well. Tone poet. All right. So is that that's just you? Yeah. That's a solo thing, or that's just me, All me right. and my lap steel guitar, kind and, of and, and stuff, you know. And it's said that you live in the high desert. I don't even know what that is. Is that are you near a are you near a major <laughs> city, or are you really out in the middle of nowhere? Uh, the biggest major city to me is Palm Springs, okay. uh, and we Palm Springs is at sea level. And we are at three and a half thousand feet, Jesus. so that's why it's called the high desert because it's uh, it's high up, <laughs> and we we Indeed. get four seasons. We get snow, we get burning sun, we get rain. Yeah, and like I said before, I just fell in love with the desert, and I have to live in the desert because it's just so amazing. <laughs> Wow, I don't even know where Palm Springs is. I'm gonna to have to look that up. So right you know what we didn't we didn't get into Neil is that he's done some record production. Oh yeah, geez, I meant to ask you about that. So yeah, so the the way we even got in touch with you was our good friend uh, Mick Bladder from Bladder 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 and Scunthorpe Yobs, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. He said when we had those guys on those reprobates on, they said that you produced a record for him. How how did that come about? Um. Well. When I lived in LA and when I was doing the motorcycle messaging and stuff and yeah, yeah, speed yeah. twin and all that, um, we all drank at the same place, you know, Mick and Alex and mm-hmm. uh, we, we're friends, you know, and yeah. uh, just hanging out. And I think they asked me, they wanted to have a Moondog mix of one of their tracks. And... Uh, I said, yeah, of course. And 
I don't think it quite turned out how they wanted. They wanted, they wanted it kind of like uh, drum and bassy, and and I thought they wanted it really hardcore punk. Mm-hmm. So um, I gave them that, and they were kind of like, uh. <laughs> they were they were disappointed. But we didn't really figure out before I started exactly what they wanted me to do. Yeah. I just assumed they wanted me to make them sound a little bit better, which I was hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, those guys. I'd imagine it's pretty difficult to get those guys all on the same page at the same time. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Th- they are lovely, lovely people, and I love yeah. them. So you, it seems like all the English transplants in LA all drank at the same pub. Is what it's is the way it sounds. The lava lounge. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's where we all hang out. So did you do a bunch of that, or was that just like kind of a one-off thing? I, I, I ran a piece, so I might have missed some. I, have, I haven't. I mean, obviously I produce everything I do, um, but I don't. I've done a couple of things for people, but I do. I love the, the thing of recording, you know, music and recording. I mean, that's just, I, I just love it. Starting off, you know, making making an album, you start off with a blank piece of paper and an idea, and then however long later, it's a finished thing, it's out there, it exists forever. Yeah. You know, it's it's going to be here in 500 years. So do you have, I, do you have your own studio, mm, or, or do you go somewhere? Well, it's a it's a, a spare room in a spare house on on the land. Yeah, I yeah, mean, there I'm, you go. It, it's you know, it's just full of my junk. You know. <laughs> okay, it sounds very technical. For, very, okay. modest. Yes. very modest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 probably got some cool junk in there. Well, oh yeah, uh, very cool. Yeah. I mean, unless there's anything else you want to tell us about that you got coming out, you've you've been very generous with your time. We've I was kept us two, we kept two really, hours. Really late tonight. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> unless you in our bedtime. Yeah. You guys are probably thinking, God, I didn't think he'd shut up about himself. Well, well, so, Derwood, it's it's so interesting, right? Because you know we get some guests on who we can't, who just won't stop talking. I swear they'd be on with us for four hours if if we, if we let them. And we have some that it's like it's like painful dragging anything out of them at all, right, Tom? I mean, it's right. It's, everybody, and you never know what you're going to get. And we right? do if never you, know, so we're just yeah. If, you know, before we call them up, we're just like, well, we got a plan, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, and this is but, well, like I said, this is much more in Neil's wheelhouse than mine. So I'm like, oh, I'll let you take the lead. Buddy, take the lead. Yeah, right. Well, you've right. been you've been so generous. You've been so generous with your time, and it's just been that's been fascinating to hear. To hear, it really of, has. To hear some you of know, the stories. I guess if, if I could have, if I could ask one more kind of old old school question, you know, yeah. being, I'm a little young. I'm a little younger than Neil. I, I was I was only about five years old when that first Gen X album came out. Um, right. So everything I know about that scene, you know, the hundred punks and the most of it all has been through like a filter of the sex pistols and, and everything else. But, but I mean, have you ever seen what you thought you know, that pistol show just came out last year and it's usually the clash of the pistols. I mean, does that, any of that ring true to you? Do you ever see anything like that chronicles that era where you thought, yeah, they really captured what the scene was like or what it was like to be a young person at that time? No, it just can't be done. I kind of thought I kind of had that impression. No, it, but. no, it can it can be done. And inter- interestingly enough, <laughs> oh, another project. Lead, you know. 
It's got another project. <laughs> this this is a good project, um, but I don't think I can I don't think I can say anything ah, about gotcha. it. Okay. But well, I look forward to it. You have to let us know when when you can because I'm, I'd be curious. I think he's going to tell us something though. Go ahead. I was going to tell you that the person I am working with on a movie has done this before, and if he thought about it, um, who has made a really great punk movie? Think about that. Uh, Roger Corman, Rock and Roll High School. There you go. No. <laughs> a really good, uh, that's a good question. A really great punk movie. Huh. And I'll say this. It was American punk, not British punk. Huh. Oh, interesting. Well, With, docu- documentary or movie? Yeah, are we talking like no, Repo movie, Man or are we talking movie. like... Uh, movie. Movie, wow. movie. Hmm. Not Penelope, yeah. that, that decline of Western civilization? I, I don't know. I give up. Anyway, I'm, I'll leave I'll leave you with that because in a couple of years, you know how long movies fucking take. Yeah, yeah. Or two, two or three years, you might see something and go, oh, wait a minute, they were told of that two or three years ago. Hmm. Yeah. So are you, are you involved? Um, are you involved with it? Um, in the writing uh, at the moment, yes. Nice. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be very, very true with warts and all. And it's not going to be a fantasy. And it's not going to have Chrissy Hind in it. <laughs> you say that well i don't know i got i got a lot of respect for her but i don't know her of course well, the, you probably the, do the, but you know i don't know anything about christy hein in real life i mean i know the pretenders a little bit but the woman who played christy hein the pistols was so much more attractive than the real life christy oh, hein i mean i think everybody oh, that's that's mean everybody fell saying? in love with but, that girl who played her in that show dude i'm sorry the only reason i said that is because i i was kind of in that at the time and sure. I never knew Chrissy Iron was such a big deal in the pistols it's like what she well they had to make scene. a love interest right they had to make I guess a, they, and, yeah I guess they had to make a love interest they both they both have said that that was kind of over overstated so yeah that's why I made a slight joke about it but um no it's all good yeah. I, I don't think I, I I know Glenn was very upset with that production yeah he didn't like his portrayal of himself yeah they ma- well, they made him look like an idiot, and he wasn't. He was a vital part of that whole thing. Well, it fell and, apart. Um, as, as, as soon as he left the band, the band basically fell apart at that point. Yeah. yeah. Well, and he said they had one. They could have had another good album if they would have kept it together. But. Just like Generation yeah. X. Well, yeah. yeah. See? Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. We, can't, we can't live in 1977, unfortunately. Unfortunately not, no. But listen, but it was fun real nice talking to you. Tom you too. And yeah, 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 thanks so much for taking so much time to talk to us. You've been so generous. Here. Yeah, thank you so much, mate. Good I'll, luck with uh, all your various projects. Yeah, when, yeah. when is this going to be broadcast? I want to tune in and, and um, hear your probably, other stuff too. Probably a couple weeks. Yeah, probably we'll a couple weeks, I'd say, because we'll be we have we have a, we have another couple in the can that we have to get out first. But um, yeah, I'd say I'd say a couple of weeks is probably is probably a good plan. But I'll certainly let you know when we're going to put it out, and yeah, I'll send you I'll send you links and stuff. Yeah, I'll send you links. Yeah, yeah, I listen, think you'll be pleasantly listen, surprised. Thank you, thank you so much, and keep up the good work and punk till you die, mate. <laughs> 
Thanks, mate. Thank Thanks, you. mate. Thanks, mate. Yeah, uh, everybody. Enjoy your dinner, man. Thanks. Yep, yep. Everybody keep a little mark All in right. your heart and uh, oh, stay free. Yeah, love that. Love yeah. that. Okay. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Soon, yeah, cheers. Bye. Bye. You're, you're Bye. out. Out. Okay, that brings us to the end of another show. Hope you enjoyed it. Remember, keep a little mark in your heart, and we'll be back the same mark time, same mark channel. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. Ah, ever get the feeling you've been cheated? Good night. What a fucking rotter. What a load of old shit. Thank you, fuck you, bye, boom. Okay.